Father, I thank you that uh, we have another opportunity to come and open your word. And I just I thank you for how excited I am about this study tonight and all the many different things that you're going to tie together from your word. Lord, we thank you for the fact that when we take the time to really just look at your word and to study it and compare it with itself, uh, things come to life and things that we didn't really fully understand all of a sudden make so much more sense. Father, put a desire within us tonight, an even stronger desire than we already have to study your word. Help us to see uh, what's available. Help us to get a glimpse of the nuggets that are there and the, and the, the, the value that's there. Lord, I pray that by the end of tonight, as much as we'll be excited about what it is you've shown us, challenged by what it is you've shown us, Lord, I pray that you would also just put that desire in us. Lord, we don't have it in and of ourselves, in our own flesh, we won't want to do it. But by your spirit, by your grace, you give us that hunger to really study some more. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Revelation chapter 4, we're going to deal with verse 4 uh, to start with. Revelation 4, verse 4. I've been promising for two weeks to tell you who the elders are. Uh, we're going to finally get to that tonight. So, uh, in verse 4 of chapter 4, it says, Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. And from the... Th- and that's where we're going to stop. All right. Who are these 24 elders? Now, depending on which commentaries you read, there's, there's lots of options. Some people say that it's angels. Others people say that the 24 elders are a mixture of the church and the Old Testament saints. Uh, others say that it's the church. I'm going to show you that I believe that the 24 elders represent the church. Not the church and the, and the, and the uh, Old Testament saints, and I'll show you that in time why I think that is. But I want to take the time to just break down this verse right here and take a look at it and show you from Scripture how I believe that these 24 elders that are sitting on thrones surrounding the throne are actually, it's a picture, representation of the church, and we'll go from there. So, first thing you need to understand is, is there's how many thrones? 24. Now, I'm going to show you that scripturally, 24 is representative of a larger group. Put a bookmark here. Go to 1 Chronicles chapter 24. 1 Chronicles 24. You'll see a section where they had to divide the priests into divisions. Um, Because of the increase of the priesthood in the Levitical line uh, and and all, there there came so many priests, they all couldn't serve at the same time in the temple. And so they came up with a system to divide the priest into 24 divisions, as you'll see here, and each division would serve at a time. And that way, everybody could serve in the temple for a time But the 24 divisions represented the whole group. You see there in verse 7, the first lot fell to Jehoiarib, second to Jediah, third to Haram, fourth to Sorum. I'm only read uh, through verse 10 to just kind of show you what we're doing, but there's a reason why I do that. Uh, And then the fourth to Sorum, the fifth to Malchijah, the sixth to Majamim, and the seventh to Hakaz, and the eighth to Abijah. Does Abijah sound familiar? Some people are shaking their head no, some are saying yes. If you were to go look, and we're not going to take the time to do that tonight, but if you go look in Luke chapter 1, you'll see that Zechariah and his wife, they're from the line of Abijah. And it was their time, or his time, to serve in the temple, and that's why he goes, and the lot fell that day that he was to be the one who took care of the incense at the altar. He goes into the holy place, not the holy of holies, but the holy place right in front of the holy of holies, and as he's making sure the incense is kept up so the fire continues to burn, that's when the angel Gabriel shows up and tells him that he and Elizabeth are going to have a son, John the Baptist. But as you look in that passage, you'll see it was his turn to serve at the temple because he was from the group under Abijah. But if you go all the way down to verse 18, you get the 23rd was Deliah and the 24th to Maaziah. They broke down all the priests into 24 representative groups, and the 24 represented the whole group. Go over to chapter 25 and look at verse 9. They did the same thing with the singers and the worship leaders there at the service of the temple. It says the first lot, which was for Asaph. We've heard his name before, haven't you? You have noticed in some of the scriptures in the Psalms, some were written by David, some were written by Asaph. All right, the first lot was for Asaph, fell to Joseph, and his sons and relatives, second to Gedaliah, and so on. And if you get all the way down to verse 31, how many are there? 24. 24th to, I'm not going to try that one, Romanti, I guess, Ezer, and his sons and relatives. 
So I want you to see that scripturally, there's a precedent here for 24 representing the whole group. Okay? Again, the singers didn't all show up to sing on the same, same week. They were broke down into divisions. And they worked according to that. I, back here now, Revelation, go back to Revelation chapter 4, verse 4. There's 24 thrones. I believe that they represent the church, and I'll continue to show you why I think that is. Some say it's representative of the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 apostles. If you want to go there, that's okay. It's not the end of the world if you think it's a mixture of the two, but I'm going to show you some scriptural reasons why I don't think that's the case, so stick with me on that one. The second thing we see, not only the fact that there's 24 of them, we also see what? They're sitting on what? Sitting on thrones. Go real quick back to chapter 3 of Revelation. And look at verses 21 and 22 and the promise that Jesus makes to the church or to those in the church who overcome, the true believers. It says, To him who overcomes, verse 21 of chapter 3, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I overcame and sat down with my Father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Here we see a promise that him who overcomes in the church are going to be able to sit on the throne with Jesus and the Father. And what's this picture we see in Revelation 4? They're sitting on thrones there around the throne. Uh, let me show you some more evidence of that. Go to Revelation chapter 2, verse 26. Somebody read verse 26 for us. Loud enough for the recording here. Chapter 2 of Revelation, verse 26. To him who overcomes and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. Over the nations. Again, you see a promise that we're going to have the ability to rule over the nations. You say, well, that's kind of vague. Well, it gets more clear if you go to 2 Timothy chapter 2. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 11 and 12. Now, because of how many scriptures I'm going to be giving you tonight, please write these down. If you try to, try to keep up with me, you'll have forgotten most of them, if not all of them. I want you to be able to study these on your own and look at it some more. But in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, look what Paul says. He says, here's a trustworthy saying. If we died with Him, we will also live with Him. If we endure, we will also what? Reign. reign. We'll also reign with Him. Scripture again, giving evidence to the fact that we, as the church, are going to rule and reign with Christ. Let me give you another example. Go to Romans chapter 8, verses 15 through 17. Somebody want to read that one for us. Romans 8, verses 15, 16, and 17. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by him we cried and cried out, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, and indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. You see that? So translations say so we share in His glory. Not only are we children of God, we're co-heirs, joint heirs with Jesus Christ, and the Scripture says we're going to share in His glory. That's hard for us to fathom. To be honest with you, I don't fully understand it. Ephesians 2.6 says we're already seated in the heavenly realms with Christ. But the Bible teaches that the church is going to reign with Jesus during the millennium. Here John is taken into heaven. Remember he said this is what takes place after this, the end of the church age. We've already taken a look last week at the Daniel's prophecy that shows that there's a last seven year period that's going to occur for the nation of Israel. It's the end of the age of grace, the end of the year of the Lord's favor, the end of the church age, whatever you want to call it. At that point, the bride is gathered up at the rapture. And we'll deal with that a lot more in times to come. But the bride is gathered at the rapture. And so everything John sees now in Revelation chapter 4 following is going to be what's going to be happening during that time period we call the tribulation period. And at this point, the church is not on the earth anymore. The church is in heaven, seated on their thrones with Jesus Christ. And we see the representation of that. But also, how are they dressed? They're dressed in white. Now, for those of you that uh, um, want another scripture to further hammer this fact that we're going to rule and reign with them, just write this one down. You don't have to turn there. But 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 1-3, through 3, Paul's dealing with the church in Corinth having issues and divisions amongst each other. and They're, going, they're having lawsuits among believers and they're taking it to the, the secular courts. And Paul says, look, don't you realize that you're going to judge angels? You're going to, you're going to be ruling and reigning and judging angels? Why in the world are you having to go to man to settle your disputes? He even goes on to say, I say this to shame some of you. Choose like the lowest person in y'all's mind in the church. Let them choose what this answer should be. 
because you don't understand who you really are and what's going to be happening. Why do you need to go to the, the law courts to settle your disputes among brothers? But that's 1 Corinthians 6, verses 1 through 3. But you also, like you just told me, they're dressed in white. They're dressed in white. Someone read for us uh, um, Revelation chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. He who overcomes will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out his name from the book of life, but will acknowledge his name before my Father and his angels. Again, a further picture of the church, whoever comes, written to the churches, will be dressed in white. And again, these are dressed in white. Go ahead. Does this church include the Old Testament redeemed? I believe that the Old Testament redeemed, no. I believe the Jews, like the apostles, who are part of the first part of the church, will be a part of this. Those who are in the church, and, and I'll explain to you why, where I get that, if you'll stick with me. But no, I don't believe, like Moses and Abraham and Elijah and those guys, that, trust me, they're in heaven, they're in the presence of God, because remember when Moses, I mean not Moses, Jesus was on the Mount of Transfiguration in Matthew 17, Moses and Elijah appeared and spoke with him about what must soon take place. They're definitely alive. Jesus said in John chapter 8, you know, Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. And they say, wait a minute, you're not even 50 years old. You've seen Abraham? They knew what he was saying. I believe Abraham and Moses and Elijah and all of them are in the presence of God. They're living, breathing, if you will. They don't have a resurrected body yet. And there's scripture that shows that they won't get theirs until the end of the tribulation period. At that point, the Old Testament saints will get their resurrection bodies, but the church gets theirs at the time of the rapture. Go ahead. Wouldn't uh, Enoch and Elijah, who were uh, taken up in the first rapture, have their resurrected bodies? Not yet. Not yet. I, I don't believe that they will for the fact that the corruptible can't take on incorruption. You know, the mortal can't take on immortality. Their bodies can't make it up there. And so I believe that the Bible teaches that they will be getting their bodies. And if you'll stick with me, hang on, uh, we're going to deal with this because I can show you that there's a difference between the church and the tribulation saints and the Old Testament saints. And it's important that you grasp this. It'll help you understand that there's a difference between the three. So right now, what I want you to try to stick with me on, and if you disagree, that's okay, but I want you to wrestle with this. I want you to double-check this. I want you to look at these scriptures. I believe that the 24 elders represents the church. All right. Another reason is, what are they called? They're called elders. Now it's interesting that Paul, I'm sorry, not Paul, that John would call them elders, and he doesn't explain the term. Now, the, the term elders definitely was used in the nation of Israel, as, but at the same time, all throughout Scripture, and I'm not going to have us turn there, all throughout Scripture, the Bible is very clear that the early church had elders. Uh, just you want to write some of these down, I'll give you three to choose from, or to write down. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17 talks about the elders who rule wisely or worthy of double honor. Uh, that's 1 Timothy 5, 17. There's also Titus chapter 1, verse 5, where he talks about how he's going to go and appoint elders in all these different places, uh, different churches. And 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 4, talks about how Peter says, I, as a fellow elder, appeal to you elders to shepherd God's flock wisely, not because you must, but because you're willing, not lording your authority over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive your crown of glory. And so the scripture throughout the New Testament church age talked about how there were those who were given the authority to rule, if you will, in the church. It's not something we fully understand very much in the church today. We've kind of gone with a one-pastor type of a model, and, and we won't have time to get into that whole study. But the Bible, I believe, teaches that there should be a plurality of leadership leading the church, a plurality of elders, some who preach and teach, some who are ruling elders. They all rule in some capacity. They all need to be able to teach, but there are others who have different roles. And throughout the church, there was this description, this role of elders who were leading in the church, overseeing the spiritual direction of the body. Now, because of that, John says, I saw elders. He doesn't explain it. He must be writing to a church who would understand what elders are. Okay? And then we see one more evidence of the fact that this is the church. What are they wearing? They're wearing crowns. Now, again, go back to Revelation chapter 3. Look at verse 11. Someone read that one for us. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take away your crown. All right. 
again, written to the church. And then we also know in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8, Paul says that he was being poured out like a drink offering. He knows that it's time for his departure, and he's about to receive the crown of righteousness. But not only me, but also all who long for his appearing. The Bible throughout the time talks about how we will receive crowns, we'll be received reward, but the crown always represents what? When you have a crown, what is your role? You're king. You're a ruler. You're going to judge. You're going to be in charge in some capacity. And the Bible says that Jesus Christ, when He comes back to the earth, we're going to come with Him, and we're going to rule and reign with Him on the earth for during that thousand-year time period. The good news is, the tribulation saints will as well, and so will the Old Testament saints rule and reign. So that there's evidence of that. But what I believe is happening right here is He sees the church. Again, like I say, there's... Lots of different speculation on it, and if we don't see it the same, that's okay. We're still going to get to heaven, you know. Um, but the main thing is, this is where we're coming from. Go ahead. Why are they wearing crowns if we are to cast our crowns at His feet? As you will see in time, they will, but they they pick them back up and lay them back down. It's 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 a picture of this isn't mine, and God says you're right. Put it back on. It's not yours. It's that kind of a thing, you know. Go ahead. It's, it's not twenty. The twenty-four is a symbolic number of all the saints. Right. Uh, uh, well, I think it's of, of the church. Of the church. Of the church, yeah. yes. So it's not all the churches sitting there on these thrones. There's, it may be that in this place in the throne room of God, as it was with the priests and the singers, we have time periods where we get to go sit around the throne during our allotted time. You know, like I said, they were each time that the priests would go serve during their session, if you will, and then they would stay home until it was their time to serve again. There may be that maybe in heaven, I don't know this, but it may be that we get to a certain time, sit on the thrones around the throne of God for a time period. Join in the worship of God in that way. Don't know if that, how that does it, but it's representative. Now, jury duty. Jury duty. I would, I would hope it's a little bit more exciting than that. But yes, but uh, yes. Hopefully we wouldn't be trying to get out of it like we do. I know whenever I've been called for jury duty, I show up and I just write down Southern Baptist minister and they say, here's your check. Thank you very much for coming. And I have never served, so... But here's what I want to deal with. Go to chapter 6. Go to chapter 6. Revelation. Uh, Revelation. Thank you for clarifying that. Yeah. Yeah. Pick a book, but go to no, chapter 6 of Revelation. Yeah. Look at verse 9 and following. Listen to what it says. It says, When he, this is Jesus, opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. They call down in a loud voice, How long, Sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? Then each of them was given a white robe, and they were told to wait a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and brothers who were to be killed as they had been was completed. Tribulation saints are having to wait until all the rest of the tribulation saints are killed, and then they'll get their reward. Do you see it? church is going to get it at the rapture. When we go to the judgment seat of Christ, the marriage supper of the Lamb, we're going to be with Him as this stuff's going on in His presence down on the earth. The tribulation saints, those who are going to come to Christ during the tribulation, are, ha- are told to wait. Now go to chapter, nine, uh, chapter 7, verse 9. After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. And they were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. Again, we see a designation difference between the angels and the elders. They fell down on their faces before the throne and they worshipped God saying, Amen, praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength to be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders asked me, These in white robes, who are they? And where did they come from? I answered, Sir, you know. And he said, These are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. There's a distinction, there's a delineation between the church and the tribulation saints. Go ahead. We're going to get to the four living creatures in just a little bit. So we, we will hang, hang on. We will deal with that. And that's a neat study which we're going to get to tonight. The thing that's part of it is everyone after they were judged and found righteous were given white robes. 
so the white robes <clears throat> that were on the twenty-four elders, elders mean that they were already already given righteousness, already already, given righteousness. already judged. Yep, we've already received our reward. That's the rapture and through the beam of seat. Exactly, exactly. But again, you see here the ones who are being killed during the tribulation, their souls are under the altar, and they're saying, "When are you going to avenge our blood?" And he says, "Wait until the rest of the people are going to be killed like you have." It's also very interesting, and this is just a little tidbit. Look at chapter six again. And look at what it says. It says, wait until those who have been beheaded, like you, right? Where? where? Oh, sorry, sorry. Let me find it for you here. <laughs> right, in chapter 6, it talks about those who have been killed. There's a place where I just recently saw they've been beheaded. Oh, it's chapter 20. Go to chapter 20. This is just an interesting little tidbit here. Around, yeah, around verse 4. I saw thrones in which were seated those who have been given authority to judge. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony for Jesus and because of the Word of God. There's difference between those who are on the thrones, church, and those who have been beheaded. Now let's just be honest, folks. Who right now that we know in history is beheading? Islam. Remember how... It's, They'll kidnap somebody and then they'll behead them on, send it out on YouTube and everybody gets to see it or all this kind of stuff. Just was kind of an interesting thing that jumped off the page at me one day. How they're one of their main ways is beheading. And here it says that those during that time period, a lot of them are going to be beheaded. It's interesting. It's just a little, that's free. Alright? Now, so we, we've seen already that there's a... You're welcome. Uh, um, but uh, we've already seen that there's a distinction between the church and the tribulation saints. At the end of the tribulation, the tribulation saints are going to get their bodies when the rest of them have been killed. Now go to Daniel chapter 12 with me. And let me show you a very interesting little, call it a tidbit if you will, that talks about the Old Testament saints. Chapter 12, it's going to be the last verse. Is this this one's not free. This one's going to cost you. <clears throat> Actually, we'll start in verse 9. Chapter 12, verse 9. Daniel's seen visions of the end times, the tribulation period. We'll come back and look at this passage later on in our study. But uh, he asks, when's this going to be? How's this going to happen? And, and, and uh, what will the outcome of this be? Verse 8. Verse 9 says, The angel replies, Go your way, Daniel, because the words are closed up and sealed until the time of the end. Many will be purified, made spotless and refined, but the wicked will continue to be wicked. None of the wicked will understand, but those who are wise will understand. Now from the time that the daily sacrifice is abolished and the abomination that causes desolation is set up, there will be 1,290 days. Again, this is the midpoint of the tribulation. This will make clearer in our study later on, but we talked about Daniel last time, how there's a seven-year period left. And if you do the math of this number, it, we're looking at the time period between the midpoint of the tribulation to the end. Because that's when the Antichrist is going to step foot in the temple, declare himself to be God, and he's going to break his covenant. And, and we'll know how many days there's going to be at that point, that's for sure. All right. And then it says, Blessed is the one who waits for and reaches the end of the 1,335 days. Now as for you, go your way till the end. You will rest, and then at the end of days, you will rise to receive your allotted inheritance. So it appears the tribulation saints don't get their resurrected body. Now again, they're gonna they're in heaven. They're living right now. They walk with the Lord, talk with the Lord. The Old Testament saints, what did I say? Tribulation. I'm sorry. Old Testament saints here. They're 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 in the presence of God. They're alive as you and me right now, if not even more. But they won't get their eternal bodies, it appears, and their allotted inheritance until the end of the tribulation period when the rest of the nation of Israel. Verse 1 and 2 says that too. Verse 1 and 2 says that too. What body do they have? They don't have one. It's a, it's a spiritual type of body kind of a thing. You know, it, we could see that they are given white robes to wear and told to wait, you know, kind of a thing. But the actual body like yours and mine, because remember, when Jesus rose from the dead, he wasn't a spirit being, he was a physical being that you could touch, he ate, 
And, you know, nothing dropped on the floor. You know, alright? Okay? He had an actual body. He told Thomas, touch my hand, touch my side. So Jesus had His resurrected body at that time. And as you will see, He's the first fruits. We'll get to that a little bit later tonight. He's the first fruits of those of us who are going to resurrect from the dead. Go ahead. Well, Abraham, Lazarus, you know, he was in Abraham's bosom. That's right. Sounds like a body to me. Well, again, it's a type of body, but it's not a physical one-you-can-touch kind of a thing is what I'm trying to get at. And again, as you know, the term Abraham's bosom was, uh, it's a picture of the presence of Abraham. As you know, he probably wasn't actually in Abraham's physical body, you know, kind of a deal, you know, but uh, he's in the presence of God. So again, when Moses and Elijah appeared on the Mount of Transfiguration in Matthew 17, they recognized it. They were definitely visible. You could see them. They recognized this as Moses and Elijah. They were talking with Jesus. I don't know how to fully describe it, except it appears that they won't get their final whatever it is until the end of the days. That's what the Old Testament says. Is this why they describe, the Bible describes Christ as the first fruit yes. of the resurrection? Yes. He's the first fruits of the resurrection because He actually got a body. And we'll get to that passage in 1 Corinthians 15 in a little bit if we have time. Again, this is something that people have wrestled with for years. Some have understood a little bit more than others, and I'm not saying I fully understand it. But I understand this much. It appears that there's this distinction between the church, tribulation saints, and Old Testament saints in the plan of God in what's going to be happening in the last days. Part of the problem we're wrestling with is for so long, a lot of our denominations have taught replacement theology, and so whenever we see Israel, we just think the church. And even if you don't believe in replacement theology, you've heard a lot of sermons over the years that just kind of blended it all together. And you can't blend it all together. There's a difference. There's a difference. And he's got a purpose for the bride. He's got a purpose for the tribulation saints and the Old Testament saints. Go ahead. Um, I, just, I know you just told me. It's okay. Time of the end. Yes. Okay. Which time of the end are you you're saying he the Old Testament saints are gonna get their resurrected body. Right. During during the same time as the tribulations? No, most most likely most likely at the same time as the end of the end of the tribulation in the tribulation saints. at the end of the days. Well right. The according to Twenty verse uh, four that you read. Mm-hmm. He saw the uh, the uh, elders sitting on the throne. Right. And then he saw the uh, those that were beheaded for God that reigned with him right. for a thousand years. Right. So the tribulation saints have to come before the millennial kingdom. Right at the very beginning. Right. At but, the very the, beginning. but the Old Testament saints are going to also come. There's as you count the days here. There's like there's like depending on who the scholar is. Look, if you do the math, actually, it, if it's a three and a half year period. That should be one thousand two hundred and sixty days, right. according to a you know thirty day calendar, three and a half years. But it appears that there's thirty days to finish up the end of that time period, and then it says wait until the time of one thousand three hundred thirty five days. So some think that there's the tribulation saints at the end of that one point, and then however many days that is, my math's bad later. The Old Testament saints get that. Again, this isn't something that you need to worry about and try to, well, I'm right and you're wrong. Because, to be honest with you, we don't fully understand it. We know this, that God has said that there's a difference between the three. That much we do understand. I'm going to go right back to your question. But if you compare Daniel 12 where it says, seal up, the words are sealed until the time of the end. Go real quickly to Revelation chapter 22. Look at verse 10. Chapter 22 of Revelation. I'll wait for you to get there. This is at the end of this whole book that he's written and all this revelation that he's been given, which, by the way, you'll see matches all of the Old Testament Scripture and a lot in Daniel. And then he's told, don't seal up the words of the prophecy of this book because the time is near. So I believe what that's teaching is is what Daniel was given didn't make any sense to Daniel. It was sealed up. But in our time period now, Jesus is saying, it's not sealed up. I'm starting to reveal it, open it up. So the time of the end is what we're in. 
the end of days is different. You understand? We're in the time of the end, but we're not in the end of days. There's still more days left. The, yeah, the tribulation still got to go. So you got your first strength. Mm-hmm. Those, um, I don't know if you would call them second string, but I understand what you're saying. You got you got the church. Okay, my question mm-hmm. is, I'm I'm just confused because that's okay. I, I'm I, my question is, and I know it's not you know carbon stone anyways, but mm-hmm. um, it, the Old Testament saints of the Old Testament, they're they are going up with the church. I mean, they're, they're, no, they're already they're already late. When they died, they're with him. No, but I mean when they get. Resurrection when they get their resurrected bodies, right? Are they getting the resurrected bodies with the church or with the tribulation? Not far. If it's not the same time as the tribulation saints, it's a few days after, according to the scripture here. If that's what you're going to go with these days, but if, the church we get them at the time of the rapture. Okay, and is that when the that's when the wedding feast begins, right? That's so when the wedding feast bride begins. Comes and gets me the bride. When you're at a wedding reception, you have to have guests. Yep. And that's the Old Testament saints in the church. There's going to be people there. Yeah, yes. Again, again, the tricky thing that we're wrestling with is what kind of body are they going to have? What's the difference between the body they have now, which is a spiritual body, and the physical body they're going to get that's going to be able to be seen? And, but, and that's why Paul in all of 1 Corinthians 15, if you want to go back and read the whole chapter, you can. He deals with that and he says, look, we don't even fully know what kind of bodies. But I, because I tell you this, the kind of seed you put in the ground is not what comes out. So I can tell you this much, Paul said, it's not going to be the same kind of body you put in the ground. It's going to be a different kind of body that comes out. And when we see Him, we will be like Him, for we will be as He is. All I'm trying to get you to grasp is, it appears that those who have gone to be with Him, from 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 13-18, through 18, they're in His presence. They're recognizable. They have some type of a body, whatever it is. But they come with him, according to 1 Thessalonians 4, 13-18, when he comes in the clouds, he raptures the church, but the scripture says their bodies come up out of the ground. And then we who are alive are caught up and we are changed. Paul said, we're not all asleep, we're not all going to die, but we're all going to be changed in a moment, in the twinkle of the eye. And that's when we get our new bodies. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Go to Romans chapter 8. There's actually a passage we're going to look at a little bit later when we get to chapter 5. But we can look at it now. Chapter 8, starting in verse 18. Paul says in Romans 8, verse 18, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, and hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. Now we know that the whole creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, which is what? The redemption of our bodies. It's going to be important later on in our study tonight when we get to chapter 5. The redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. But who hopes for what he already has? But we hope for it, he goes on to say. So here the scripture says that the creation is waiting for the sons of God to be revealed. Who are the sons of God? You and I. We're the children of God. And when we're when we going to be revealed? At the rapture. When we get our new bodies. And at that point, creation knows it ain't long now till we get redeemed. And that's what we're going to get to if you'll stick with me and hang on till chapter 5. We'll, we'll get into that in more detail. Alright? So again, what I'm trying to help you grasp is, and again, you don't have to agree with me, but my, from my understanding of the study of the Scriptures, the 24 elders are representative of the church. And there's a distinction between them... The tribulation saints are going to be killed during the tribulation period and come to Christ, and there's going to be many, as you saw in Revelation chapter 7, more than you can even count, are going to be saved during that time period and come to Christ. And they will get their bodies at the end of that time period, and they're going to rule and reign with Christ on the earth, just like we are. The Old Testament saints are going to get new bodies, they're going to rule and reign with Christ on the earth, and all how that all plays out. But there's a distinction between the church, tribulation saints, 
and Old Testament saints. Alright? Why? Can't answer that. But if we know anything about God, He has His purposes, and He has His reasons, and He has His roles for each of us, and we have to be willing to accept our role. There's roles in the husband-wife relationship. There's roles in the making of babies. There's roles when it comes to the leadership of the church. There's roles that God has set apart for all of us. The problem is, is we want everybody to be equal. We want everybody to have the same role, or we want to pick what role we have. We have to be willing to understand that this is God's stuff, this is His plan, and as He's already shown us in Romans, He's not done with Israel. And by His sovereign plan, Israel's going to be on the earth. I don't care how many people try to wipe them off the face of the earth. So, He's going to finish what He started. Now, let's go real quickly to the living creatures. Go to Revelation uh, chapter 4 again and uh, deal with... Um, verses 6-8. through eight. By the way, um, one more little tidbit about the, the, the 24 elders being the church. You'll see in Revelation chapter 5, they sing this song with the living creatures. And most people believe it's an antiphonal, antiphonal thing where the living creatures start the song and the, the 24 elders re- respond. And some of your newer translations actually hurt you in this. Go to Romans chapter 5. I'm sorry, Revelation chapter 5. Let me show you real quick what I'm talking about. In Revelation chapter 5, starting in verse uh, 8, And when he had taken it, speaking of Jesus taking the, the, the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints, and they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals, because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased... Now, some of your translations will say men, Right? Some of your translations say us, correct? Us is a better translation of this word. Alright? If yours says purchased us, that's a more correct translation. Uh, the, I have an NIV here, and the translator of the NIV translated that word men in the generic because they kind of leaned toward that these were uh, angels on the throne, and it didn't work if angels were saying you purchased us. And so because of their doctrinal grasping of it, they, they made it them, uh, or men. And this one says people. people. Again, not a great, not great translation. It'll still work, it's true, but it's much more clear that this is the church when you see the translations that have it as us and we, all right, and look at what it says, all right, because you purchased us, if you will, for, uh, for God and every, from every tribe, language, and people, and nation, and you have made us, and it says some say them, to be a kingdom and priest to serve our God, and we will reign on the earth. Some translations say they. But a better translation of those words are us and we, and that even makes it more clear that this is the church singing this song. Alright? That's just a little tidbit. Trust me, I've sat through hours and hours of theologians arguing over the minutia of the Greek in here, and what it's been used here, what it means... My understanding is that it's better to translate it the us and the we than the men and them. But you know what? Even if they're singing in the third person, it still works. It still works. Alright? Now, the living creatures. Chapter 4. This is really a neat thing when you really take the time to compare what's going on here. This gets kind of fun. Alright? Chapter 4, start in uh, verse 6. Also before the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the center, around the throne, were four living creatures. And they were covered with eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a face like a man. The fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under his wings. And day and night they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Alright, now, let me just stop you for a second here. We need to really kind of grasp what's happening. First of all, the King James translation calls them beasts. I don't like that translation of that word because later on we're going to see beasts. And these are not beasts in that, in that sense, okay? These are living creatures. But I want to show you that I think from a study of Isaiah 6 and Ezekiel 1 and 10 that actually these living creatures are cherubim. And you're, I'm going to, I actually have come to believe that Ezekiel saw the same thing John saw. Isaiah saw the same thing that, Isaiah, that uh, Ezekiel and John saw. All right, so we see these four living creatures. What do their faces look like? There's four things. Lion, man, ox, and an eagle. All right, keep that in mind. Does that mean each one of them had those faces? Well, see, this is where it gets interesting. 
According to this, it looks like there's four, and each one has a different face, according to how you read Revelation. It appears that there's four, and each had a different face. Right, the second and the third. But now, let's go to Ezekiel chapter 1. That's why whenever you study Scripture, you need to compare it to Scripture. If anybody says, well, here's what I think it is, if they don't show you Scripture why they think it's that way, you might want a second guess. Alright? Ezekiel chapter 1, though, listen to what goes on here. In the 13th, uh, 30th year, in the fourth month, on the fifth day, while I was among the exiles by the Keber River, this is important, keep that in mind, Keber River, the heavens were opened and I saw visions of God. On the fifth of the month, it was the fifth year of the exile of the king of Jehoiachin, the, the word of the Lord came to Ezekiel the priest, the son of Buzi, by the Keber River, in the land of the Babylonians. There he had, had, there the hand of the Lord was upon him. Ezekiel says, I looked and I saw a windstorm coming out of the north, an immense cloud with flashing lightning and surrounded by brilliant light. The center of the fire looked like glowing metal, and in the fire was what looked like four living creatures. In appearance, their form was that of a man. But each of them had four faces and four wings. Their legs were straight, their feet were like those of a calf, and gleamed like burnished bronze. Under their wings, on their four sides, they had the hands of a man. All four of them had faces and wings, and their wings touched one another. Each one went straight ahead. They did not turn as they moved. Their faces looked like this. Each, had, each of the four had a face of a man, and on the right side, each had the face of a lion, and on the left, the face of an ox, and each also had the face of an eagle. Such were their faces. Their wings were spread out and upward. Each had two wings, one touching the wing of another creature on, the, on either side, and two wings covering its body. Each one went straight ahead wherever the spirit would go. They would go without turning as they went. The appearance of the living creatures was like burning coals of fire or like torches. Fire moved back and forth among the creatures. It was bright and lightning flashed out of it. The creatures sped back and forth like flashes of lightning. So here Ezekiel sees the same thing that John sees around the throne of God, these four living creatures. But Ezekiel says they all had four faces each. There's four of them, and they had four faces each. One was a man, one was an eagle, one was an ox, one was a lion. You don't but, but they had four wings. They had eyes mm-hmm. under the wings. Right. This one right. says pan, right. and, and it says they only have four wings. So and eyes the other one it says six. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah, yeah. Well, this is what we're getting at. And saying, this is what I'm saying. This is what I'm doing. Is I'm remember how I prayed at the beginning of this lesson that you would have a hunger to do a little more study. See, a lot of us think Bible studies come and have the preacher tell us whatever it is, and we say, okay, that's what I believe. I am here to show you that there's a lot more here than we even have time to get at. And actually, Jim Johnson isn't always right. And I shouldn't have said that on tape because my kids will use that against me. But uh, but I'm not always right. Amen. <laughs> you need to go to the back of the room. All right. Now, what I want you to see though is here, it's obvious that they're seeing the same thing, but their appearance to Ezekiel was slightly different than it was to John. Now, we could try to speculate. We could say that maybe John saw one of them turned one way and saw the face of a lion, and one, another one turned in this way and saw the side that was the eagle, and another one was turned in and he saw the man. Could it be that that's what it was, and John only saw one of their faces and not, didn't realize there was four? Ezekiel notices that each has four faces because it's you to keep reading on. And by the way, for those of you that are into science fiction and all that kind of stuff, this gets really cool if you start reading on. Because all of a sudden you'll see that their feet are kind of like wheels within a wheel. And intersecting wheels that just didn't matter. That's why they don't turn, he said. If they want to go this way, they just go that way. They want to go that way, they go that way. There's no turning to go anywhere because they're 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 on some kind of space age type of contraption that's a wheel thing that glows and lightning comes out of it and they just zoom all around and later on you'll see that they can levitate and come down and I can't wait to see it. It's gonna be pretty cool actually, but frightening. Frightening at the same time. But at the same time, as you say, well, one had six wings, another one had this. And Well, I'm going to just give you a little bit more fodder for your study. Go to uh, chapter 10 of Ezekiel. Mm-hmm. Being human beings, if you take four human beings and they see 
one thing, if you're going to get four different descriptions. Yep. Yeah. And that happens if you actually do an, if you do a study of the account of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. One account has two angels at the tomb. Another one only has one. You know, one records an earthquake. Others don't mention the earthquake. Doesn't mean that they contradict each other. They just saw that part, and one brought out another thing. So, uh, but look at here now in chapter ten. All right, uh, we'll start here. We'll start in verse. We'll start in verse fifteen. Actually, actually, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to start again. I'm sorry. We'll, we'll go back some more. I'm trying to move forward here, but we've got to start at the beginning. Verse, chapter 10, verse 1. I looked and I saw the likeness of a throne of sapphire. Above the expanse that was over the heads of the cherubim, he calls them now, the Lord said to the man clothed in linen, Go in among the wheels beneath the cherubim. Fill your hands with burning coals from among the cherubim and scatter them over the city. And as I watched, he went in. Now the cherubim were standing on the south side of the temple when the man went in and a cloud filled the inner court. Then the glory of the Lord rose from above the cherubim, moved and moved to the threshold of the temple. The cloud filled the temple, and the court was full of the radiance of the glory of the Lord. The sound of the wings of the cherubim could be heard as far away as the outer court, like the voice of God Almighty when He speaks. When the Lord commanded the man in linen, take then when the Lord commanded the man in linen, take the fire from among the wheels and from among the cherubim. The man went in and stood beside a wheel. Then one of the cherubim reached out his hand to the fire that was among them. He took up some of it and put it into the hands of the man in linen, who took it and went out. Under the wings of the cherubim could be seen what looked like the hands of a man. I looked and I saw beside the cherubim four wheels, one beside each of the cherubim. The wheels sparkled like chrysolite. As for their appearance, the four of them looked alike. Each was like a wheel intersecting a wheel. As they moved, they would go in any one of the four directions the cherubim faced. The wheels did not turn about. As the cherubim went, the cherubim went in whatever direction the head faced, without turning as they went. Their entire bodies, including their back, their hands, and their wings, were completely full of eyes, as were the four wheels. I heard the Wheels being called the whirling wheels. Each of the cherubim had four faces. One was the face of that of a cherub, one of the face of a man, third the face of a lion, and the fourth the face of an eagle. Now here we see a cherub instead of an ox. Then the cherubim rose upward. These were the living creatures I had seen by the Keber River. Remember Keber River? So these are the same creatures he saw at the Keber River. Now he's calling them what? Cherubim. Cherubim. And they have eyes. And they have eyes. When before they didn't, but now he sees the eyes. Go to Isaiah chapter 6. You, by the way, there's more reading if you want to keep going there, but I just gave you enough to whet your appetite. Go to Isaiah 6. These are the uh, creatures that are represented on the ark. Remember the ark of the covenant had the cherubim on with their wings pointing upward and so on. We also saw the cherubim guarded the way to the tree of life after Adam and Eve were removed from the garden. Chapter 6, though, we see in the year that King Uzziah died, verse 1. Isaiah says, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of His robe filled the temple. Above Him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying, and they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. But now, back in Revelation chapter 4, we saw that these living creatures continually cried, Holy, holy, holy. Most likely, these are the same things that Isaiah sees. Here he called them seraphs. Again, six and they had six wings. But again, we saw six wings in Ezekiel 10. You see what I'm saying? So what it appears, folks, is this. These are the same, same living creatures, whatever they are. And what we know this much, they're amazing creatures to see. And they have a purpose. They were created by God. And actually, we don't have time to get into it, but the Bible actually says that Satan was one of these. Satan used to be a cherubim. And he left his position. He wanted to be like God. What's the difference between a seraphim and a cherubim? There will be people that would tell you that they know. We don't know. <laughs> there are seraphim 
and cherubim, we can obviously see in Scripture that there seems to be somewhat of a delineation between the two. But to be honest with you, until we get there, we won't fully know the difference between the seraphim. I, I don't think that they're boy and girl. I don't think that's the difference. But the interesting thing is this, and we will get into this in more detail later in the study when we start looking at Satan and all this, but I want you to hear this for now. I'll show you later in Scripture that Satan was one of these cherubim. He was one of these. And he lost his position, was cast down to the earth because he became proud. And a cherub is not a little baby. With it's, a not a, it's not a little baby. <laughs> yeah, it's not a chubby baby. Alright, how are we doing time-wise? Eight till eight. Alright, eight till eight. Here's what I want to do then in, in closing. We will deal next week with what the scroll represents. Oh, not, sorry, not next week, thank you. Two weeks from tonight with what the scroll represents. And please, please, please be here because if you don't get chapter 5, you'll miss the whole of rest of Revelation. And I'm serious about this. What happens in chapter 5 with the seven-sealed scroll and what it is and what's really going on when he opens the seals is the key to understanding what's happening in all the rest of Revelation, especially with what's happening on the earth. It is the key. You've got to. If you can't be here, I understand. Make sure you catch up on the web uh, with the recording. So in two weeks, we'll deal with that. What I think God wants us to do in the time that we have left is this. Go back to Revelation chapter um, 5. Go to Revelation chapter 5. I'm just going to read to you verses 1 through 4. It says, Then I saw on the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and I wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. And one of the elders says, relax, Jesus is able, the Lion of the tribe of Judah. But here's what I want to deal with in our closing. John is in the presence of God, and he breaks down in weeping. Why? Why is John? He's seen... God on His throne. He's seen Jesus. He's seen the Spirit. He's seen the 24 elders. He's seen the the four living creatures. He's seen all this. But He breaks down in weeping. And here's why. Because at that moment when He realized, because He understood what the scroll meant, and you will in two weeks, hopefully, if you're here, He understood what that scroll represented and He understood there was no human being or created being able to open the scroll. Why? Because the created beings weren't man. And the scroll has something to do with sin, the sin of man. And because of the sin of man, there was no one on earth able to open the scroll. Praise God, in time you'll see that Jesus, because He's God and man, was able to open the scroll. But at this moment, He is weeping because of the sin of man. And, and, I, and folks, I want you to listen to me. I want you to close your Bibles and I want you just to listen to what I have to say. This is something that I spoke about this, this afternoon at, uh, at Central Baptist and God actually just gave me this message this afternoon when I hadn't prepared it. I had actually prepared something from chapter 4 of Revelation and God said, no, I want you to take them here. And, we just went, I just, and, and God began to move and it's something I feel like I'm supposed to share with you all. If you go and talk to most people today in the world and say, do you need to be saved in order to go to heaven? They'd say no. Because they don't understand their sinfulness. They think they're pretty good people. Now you know what I know, they don't realize their lostness. But here's the problem. That same attitude that has crept into the world to say, well, I'm not that bad of a person. God's going to weigh my good and my bad and I'll be okay. That same flippant attitude when it comes to sin has permeated the church, folks. If you talk to most people in the church today, Christians, and you say, hey, do you ever tell a lie? Oh, yeah, of course, people do. That's what everybody does. Have you ever committed adultery by looking lustfully at a woman? Well, come on, I'm a a man. I mean, that stuff happens. And the thing that I have come to realize is every one of these, and you go back and you take a look. I didn't accidentally have you go look at Ezekiel chapter 1, Isaiah chapter 6, and Revelation 4 and 5 for a reason. Because in each of these instances, when a man was taken into the presence of God, they broke down. When they saw His holiness, they understood their sinfulness. Remember, at this point, John's not redeemed in his body yet. He's he's a redeemed believer in Jesus Christ, but he's been in the Spirit, taken into the presence of God. But he still understands his sinfulness. 
And he wept because of the sinfulness of man. If you get to the end of chapter 1 of Ezekiel, at the end of seeing all these things and the wheels within the wheels and the seraphim or the cherubim or whatever they were, he falls on his face. And Isaiah, when he's taken in the presence of God, he cries out, Woe unto me, I'm undone. A man of unclean lips. And most of us would say, Oh no, Isaiah, man, you're, you're one of the big guys. You're one of the good ones. You know, you can, you can be deacon in our church. You know, you're one of the good guys. Don't, don't beat yourself up, Isaiah. You're not that bad of a guy. Daniel says, When I was confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, we would say, Daniel, man, there's way worse people in the church than you. And folks, what God has opened my eyes to see is, as much as the world says, I'm not a sinner, the church today doesn't understand the depth of their sin either. Thank God we're forgiven. Thank God we don't have to make penance to get right with God. Thank God we're eternally secure. But at the same time, many of us do not see sin as God does. Part of it is because we have not heard preaching and teaching on who God really is. Most of our messages in our churches today are on how to have a better marriage, how to fix your budget. And as much as there's need for help and all that, for people to understand and study the Scriptures, to know what God has to say about these areas, how many of us are really dealing with serious preaching on the holiness of God and how He views sin? It said in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 that those who weren't taking the Lord's Supper correctly, who weren't recognized in the body and the blood of Jesus Christ, some are sick and some are dead. They didn't lose their salvation, but God struck them dead and took them home early. Oh, Jim, come on. God wouldn't do that. That's Old Testament. Folks, Acts chapter 5 is in the New Testament. And if you don't know what happened in Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira lied about how much they'd actually given, and God struck them both dead. The Bible actually says in the verses following that, a great fear seized all the people and no one dared join the church. But nowadays, you know what we're doing? We're designing our churches to make everybody comfortable. What is happening in the world, we would all sit there and agree, all those people don't understand their sinfulness, they don't realize they're a sinner. What we don't understand is that same attitude has crept into the church and we don't see sin the way God does. Folks, let me just tell you, you want proof of this? There's a lot of stuff that we have turned a blind eye to in our church that the Bible says is sin. Even if it's right along the line of it, and we wouldn't think it's that big of a deal, but God put it in the same sin as orgies and fornication and adultery, envying, dissension, factions, strife, jealousy, fits of rage. And those are being seen in our churches rampantly. Most of our churches, we just know about all the stuff that goes on in the infighting. The sad thing is, the Bible describes it as sin. We just think that's the way it is. So what I want you to do is you spend a few weeks studying up on some of the stuff that I've had you to go look at. I want you to allow God to let you see God for who He really is. And you'll realize each of these people that saw God immediately their first reaction was not, man, I can't wait to tell my buddies about this. This is cool. Their first reaction was, I'm surprised I'm alive right now. So I know that for me, God has been really starting to challenge me and say, Jim, do you yourself understand how much I hate sin? I don't hate you, but I hate sin. And as much as I understand God's grace and God's mercy and God's forgiveness, I know I myself have lost sight of the holiness of God. And He's challenging me to see it as He sees it. Oh, by the way, the only way that's going to happen is if I just see Him for who He is. Because if I judge myself, I won't be really hard on myself. Neither will you. Well, if He judges you, you wouldn't either. That's why we have to have Christ to cover us. That's right. That's right. We need Christ to cover us. It's ten or nothing. That's right. There's no nine point nine. That's right. We use the uh, other people in the church to compare ourselves to so we don't have to... Uh, judge to such a high standard. That's right. That's right. So, I think one of the neatest things for us in the study of Revelation will be to really come back to a high view of who God is as we spend a lot of time in the presence of God in the heavenlies. And whoever these things are, they cry non-stop, holy, holy, holy. Let me pray for us.
Lord, I'm just going to leave it at this and thank you for the fact that your spirit is able to finish. <laughs> or you've been doing the whole job anyway. My mouth's just been moving. Lord, I thank you for the fact that you can accomplish what you want to accomplish in our hearts and our lives. Lord, I thank you for the fact we have this chance to study this book. Lord, may we not get bogged down in whether or not we agree on number of days or who's getting a body when or what it's going to look like. Lord, may we not get bogged down in that stuff. May we study it. May we seek to understand it. But may we above all have the same reaction that John did when he was in your presence. Lord, give us that glimpse. Let us see your holiness. May all the other stuff fall by the wayside. And may we turn from our sin. Lord, may we never forget how many times you told the church in this book of Revelation, repent. It's not something we even see or experience very much in the life of the church today. Forgive us for that, Father. But help us to see sin as you see sin. Thank you for the fact you've forgiven us. Thank you for the fact you've washed us clean. Thank you for the fact that our eternity is secure. But Lord, at the same time, may we, until you come get us, see sin the way you see it. May it become distasteful. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.